I'm Fathery. This is Starfleet Boy. This is Dave. And this is Text Trek. Engage. Welcome back aboard the Starship Texas for the 186th installment of the Text Trek podcast, the home of Star Trek fandom from deep in the heart of Texas, where we take a deep look at Star Trek old and new and proud members of the Treksphere Network. Tonight, we are talking about Star Trek Picard Season 2, Episode 7, Monsters, written by Jane Mags and directed by Joe Menendez. So Mags and Menendez writing monsters. It's kind of a lot, lot of M&M's. Yeah, M&M&M. and m <laughs> but, but before we get <laughs> uh, too, too into the weeds with that, or with a, a Muppet musical that we segment we might <laughs> sporadically just bust into, but uh, I just want to mention that we are, day of recording, three weeks away from covering not just the finale of Star Trek Picard, but also the season, or I'm sorry, series the premiere, premiere yeah. of Strange New Worlds. So that's only From the ashes of away. Picard will emerge Strange New Worlds. <laughs> the, the, the phoenix that is Pike. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, with his magnificent hair flowing um, yes silver locks <laughs> yeah that's gonna be a lot of fun uh, that's gonna be kind of a big show covering a premiere and a finale at the same time but i'm really looking forward to it and that's gonna be fun like cinco de mayo because uh the, the episodes actually come out on may 5th so uh we're gonna grill up some fajitas down at a uh, casa de fathery and have some uh, dos Equis and watch some star treks that's gonna be fun i'm Really looking forward to to watching and then discussing these episodes. And I just want to uh, remind everyone we are trying to increase the number of YouTube subscribers we have. Even if you listen to the podcast uh, through some audio method, it would still mean a lot to us if you could go ahead and log into YouTube and hit that subscribe button. We've actually grown 70% just this year, just covering picard in the the last couple of months so i I, for which many thanks yes so thank you everyone and you know we've gone from 700 to 770 something i think we're at 73 now 773 or four so if if we could just get that to 800 before uh, i'm sorry before strange new worlds premieres i think that'd be pretty manageable and we'd really appreciate that and if if you do listen to the podcast or you use apple Podcasts or anything like that uh if if you want to show us some appreciation over there you know by all means please consider taking the time to leave us a five-star review that'll help more people discover us and kind of help us grow our listener base on that side of things so um you know we we appreciate the people that that keep keep coming back week to week and are you know helping us out with the subscriptions or the five-star reviews and you know thank you so much for doing that it it really means a lot to to all of us when we when we see that uh, interaction when when we are, we're getting you know thanked for the for all the the effort we're putting into this it, it's a really great feeling so thank you for being able to help us out like that and uh, also on the youtube side of things there were some streams going on from the weekend from star trek mission chicago did a couple of live streams uh, showed people an inside look of 
the show floor. Uh, we did a recap talking about like all the panels we attended where there wasn't just strange new world stuff, you know, with a, a clip from the show, but also a clip from lower decks. We got to see a panel with a lot of the discovery actors. We got to see a panel with uh, some of the, the prodigy creatives and with Admiral Janeway herself, uh, Kate Mulgrew, and got to see a clip from upcoming Prodigy episodes. So yeah, we have a lot of fun stuff to talk about. Uh, go check out that content on YouTube. By the way, I also saw Pick. You, you saw Goth Janeway there among the cosplayers. Yeah, there were some great cosplays, including yeah. Goth. I predicted, I predicted that would be a, that'd be one we we would start seeing a oh, lot yeah. of. And she was red. She'd light, light up. Yeah, um, her her uniform stuff. actually like lit, lit up. up. It was illuminated. It was and yeah, just in case that that the reference is lost on anybody, that is to say, uh, the recoded Janeway from Prodigy, the evil Janeway. <laughs> evil Janeway. It was yeah. fake evil Janeway because they never right. actually lost control. But right, that's mm-hmm. like a a hat on a hat on a hat type of thing. <laughs> But enough about uh, all of that stuff. We have a, a new episode of, of Picard to discuss. I'm going to quickly recap it by reading the official synopsis, and then I'll kind of expand that with spoilers. Then I'm going to ask you all what y'all's thoughts on this episode are. But the official synopsis reads, Talon ventures inside Picard's subconscious mind to help wake him from a coma and face both his darkest secrets and deepest fears. Seven and Raffi go in search of Jurati, whom they fear has succumbed to the monster inside, Rio struggles to hide the truth of who he really is from Teresa. Uh, that last sentence is actually uh, a lie. He doesn't really struggle. He kind of gives in pretty quickly and and uh, sh- and tells her the truth, that he's a time traveler, shows off the La Serena. Uh Talon, you know, finds out kind of some of the stuff going on with Picard's mom. We don't know everything, but we find out, yeah, she had some mental illness issues, and that's kind of why Picard had this tension with his dad. And uh, he uh, wakes up to go meet Guinan to try to summon Q to find out what Q's motivations are instead they get arrested by the FBI and uh, yeah Seven and Raffi are I guess trying to track down Jurati and they figure out that part of the Borg Queen's Queen's master plan was to uh, smash glass to release endorphins because that makes her does. Borgify faster. Yeah. So, <laughs> have um, you ever smashed some glass? It feels really uh, good. Uh, Father, two quick com- uh, two quick comments. One, I think Rios has time travel bends, the the time bends or temporal bends, if you will, and that's why he's such a loony tune this uh, season. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you don't think it's just slightly scattered writing? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that too. Uh, <laughs> you know, sp- uh, temporal bends can happen to writers too. And uh, the other thing was just. Um, uh about uh about Jean-Luc uh you know well I'll we'll, we'll I'll wait for that for when we talk about him and his father. <laughs> well, so never mind. Well Starfleet Boy, if if you have stuff yeah. on your mind, why don't you just go ahead and give us your broad impression on this episode and uh, go ahead and give the first of our three opening statements. This is the first episode I'm still thinking about. I only had a chance to watch it twice. I admit that like the first time I watched it I was on my way to uh, I mean sorry, I was like three in the morning, so I hadn't even, you know, I was kind of still spacey myself and then the second time I watched it uh was yesterday when I got home in the evening and so I'm still thinking about it because uh there are some things that I'm not quite sure about how I feel mainly centered around uh Jean-Luc's reveal of what might actually be going on uh in his past Uh, and then overall I just think like I'm kind of waiting for the action to get started which I imagine will happen next week and the the last three episodes will kind of give us a uh you know a good uh a good uh sort of um journey home for me last week's episode was a a rocky one uh, two of one 
so this was much better. This was more to my liking. Uh, seeing James Callis was a real treat. Uh, it's been about a decade since my last BSG rewatch, and I'd forgotten how strong of a presence this actor has. Uh, but while his his scenes with Patrick Stewart were fun and, and well acted and very watchable, they they didn't have much weight. Like I think they were kind of intended to have much like emotional impact. Uh, I don't have too strong of feelings about the subconscious Picard stuff, uh, w- probably because we had kind of figured that out last week. I think Aaron even pointed out on the show last week that, uh, oh yeah, what if you know the big secret is just like Picard's mom had like these mental health issues, and the dad was trying to you know restrain her for her own good, and that's why Picard imagined her uh, imagined the dad as a monster and stuff. So we kind of already saw some of that stuff coming, but. Uh, they're they're clearly holding back on on some of that stuff with her. You know what happens next? What does little Picard do with the key and all of that? So I'm kind of just gonna have to enjoy the ride and write it out and see where they're going with that before I have a stronger opinion on that aspect of the season. I do, however, really appreciate that we are getting some Laris, e- even though she's Talon. I think she's actually going to end up becoming Laris or something. Uh, but just assuming that this Talon character somehow is Laris in the long run, we're getting some Laris and Picard stuff. I, I'm a, kind of a fan of that possible romance. Uh, I, I know y'all disagree with me, but I'd rather see you know Picard end up with her than with Beverly or Vash or any of the past all, love interests. Um, but yeah, it's all good. <laughs> I, think, I think putting her inside of his mind and actually you know allowing her to see his inner secrets up close and see him as like the scared little child that she has to be supportive of and protect, that actually gives some substance to that base attraction they've had uh, in you know, the previous episodes it's like fast tracking a relationship depth in a way yeah yeah it's adding some depth to what, to what previously has kind of just been kind of a surface level attraction you know we didn't really know why they uh would, would have any kind of like bond or or romance so this is kind of fleshing that possibility out uh so i, I really like that you know speaking of of relationship stuff seven and raffi are briefly shown having their great chemistry in the show uh, i like seeing the two of them you know get along a little bit here uh, that's a lot of fun and um, i'm continued to be you know impressed and delighted with that relationship and on the same note i guess also rios and teresa well i guess rios is moving perhaps too far too fast for some things uh we can talk about that more later but i i do kind of like the scenes of like him being cutesy with her and the stuff with the, the little kid ricardo and uh yeah, we, yeah we'll, we'll just talk about that later on i suppose you can't take a you can't take a girl to your starship on her first date <laughs> that's a little that fast it's like their third date. i mean yeah that's yeah, actually yeah. true yeah he's, <laughs> he's only moving at like warp 3.8 he, he has the the kirk precedent star trek 4 uh <laughs> but uh, we, you know, we end the episode with with Guinan, with more Guinan, and I'm continuing to like this this new interpretation of Guinan, and uh, just we get an additional character at the end with the FBI agent. So last week, I think I said that the scope of Picard season two was starting to narrow. Uh, this episode seems to kind of expand it back out to where now it does seem like there are an awful lot of plates spinning. You know, we still have. All the stuff that wasn't shown in this episode, like Q being sick and desperate for something to happen and the Soong and Corey stuff and whatever Renee Picard does out on her space mission and Gerardi and the Queen running around and, uh, you know, all the things that our regulars were doing in this episode. Uh, so overall, I think that's a, a lot of stuff to wrap up in these last three episodes of the season. But uh, I, I'm, I'm eager to see what they do next uh, because I I don't really see anything obvious and that's kind of a that's kind of a scary place to be, but also kind of an exciting place to be with a show like this. And given how much I've I've enjoyed the structure of the show and just the the writing in the show overall this year, I'm more excited than scared. But I, I'm definitely eager about these these three remaining episodes, and um, am really like desperate to see what happens next. Uh, Dave, what about you? Where's Picard's brother? 
Robert. <laughs> yes. He's like off at school yeah, or something. Yeah, it's, I've seen I've seen people mention that, and I, like it is it is kind of a weird omission. I have I have a thought on that, but I'll I'll save it till we're we're talking about that. But yeah, I, I, right I was wondering that myself. Actually, I, I want a quick uh, as if uh, Brian couldn't uh, couldn't join us tonight, but I, I wish that in a way he had because I know that Brian likes those episodes that dive into uh, where you get in someone's headspace and you you know often represent things symbolically uh, within a within a sort of mindscape. Uh, I, I'm sort of lukewarm to negative on the basic concept, but I've seen it done well. Um, what, what's the D- Deep Space Nine one with Bashir? Uh, is it Distant Voices or something? The the one where Bashir had uh, like had turned thirty and was like uh, angsting over that, and he you know was was in this mysterious uh, you know creepy version of the uh, station with uh, other people, and I, I thought that was a pretty cool one. But um, this did did offer up some twists and turns, just as that episode did. It did throw a few surprises our way, even if we were starting to guess at some of them. Uh, but I, I sort of was, I, I guess I was mildly dissatisfied with this episode because it felt a little fillery to me. Like there was, they advanced at all the little plot threads a little bit, but I sort of felt like we've gotten away from the pressing nature of it. One of the things I like about like TOS episodes is that, you know, they'd sometimes have, you know, there, there was essentially always an action-y A plot and, you know, the B plot was like Spock trying to reconcile with his dad or something like that. But, you know, they'd be trying to do that. And then suddenly the ship is under an attack from like uh, an Orion uh, Raider. And um, uh, we're, we're now removed enough in episodes from like fascist future to, uh, you know, I'm like, right. They're trying to figure out uh, they're trying to get Renee on the spaceship, but they also need to figure out what Q's plan is. No one's in immediate physical danger. Or, I mean, I guess Picard is, but we that that one doesn't feel too immediate. Everything feels a little distant right now, and so I, I like I, I don't, I'm not finding it that that sort of compelling thing. Like I almost needed some some sort of more immediate moment of maybe if not physical threat, then something that was a little bit more dire, like you know, like an, an engagement with Q uh, uh, right in person. Uh, that said, the stuff I liked in the episode, um, were, were, it was like sort of scattered things. I liked, really liked Rios revealing that he sees Picard as a father figure. Mm-hmm. Um, that was kind of a follow-up to some stuff from season one. Uh, I mostly was digging the, uh, addition to the, uh, how do you say it? El- Elorian? Elorian yeah. lore, yeah. Yeah, the lore for, for Guinan's people. Uh, I, I loved, uh, the claw hands return. <laughs> that was really good. That was the actor's choice, by the way. They said in the ready room that was her idea to do that. Though. Oh. Good mm-hmm. call, good call. I've liked almost everything she's done. I think she's a strong addition to the uh, to the cast this season. So uh, more more good from her. Uh, and and I, I you know I'm, I'm basically I'm liking when Picard can kind of do a little bit of take charge chargedness. Um, and so him trying to puzzle out Q's motivations, which you know seems like he's trying to tie in. Oh, why has he been obsessed with me all this time? What's the bigger picture here? Um, I'll be curious to that. That is actually the the thing that most interests me at the moment is that um, resolving that mystery. It seems like they have an idea. I hope it can be satisfying because I am a little. I'm feeling a little bit of the um, stretched stretchedness of the uh, format. Uh, yeah, it's the, almost uh, you know turning into Discovery season four. Um, if as far as like stretching the story out too long, I think if we don't get if if we don't get like a little bit more uh, satisfaction with with the next episode. Right. And that puts all this weight on, you know, whether the reveals are exciting reveals or not, or, you know, emotionally satisfying. So and you're right, though, we kind of have to wait a little bit on that. So I can't fully judge it. But anyway, uh, mixed mixed reaction overall for me. Um, so why don't we why don't we dive in on some specifics? OK, well, let's start with the Picard uh, subconscious dream world, whatever you want to call it. 
Um, but yeah, basically where he's hanging out with Gaia Spaltar from Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> it's the upside yeah and the upside down narnia i want to call the other part of it but anyways <laughs> uh, there, there's like a, that weird sun thing glowing that's kind of like an artsy opening where you see like that that sun burning red hot and then you hear that uh, that wonderful james callus voice saying uh you know, the mm. sovereign nature of life is giving right. life or whatever he's talking about <laughs> it's uh it, it, it's a it's a it's like self-consciously slightly artsy thing you're like oh i bet that sun is symbolic you know like uh, uh, but uh, i'm just gonna I, I think i've heard this mentioned elsewhere i haven't really seen read a lot of fan reactions and stuff but um so stupid me who uh doesn't hasn't seen as much trek as other people have uh i was one of those people that i was like is that bashir mm. i was just staring <laughs> at him like for most of this show like I'm like, I don't quite get why Bashir has like, – and he looks a little younger than I thought he was. But, uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> There's makeup and CG. I don't know what they're doing. Um, they, made and... a, they made a meme about this, by the way. Uh, Did they? City. Yeah, they, it's they really made a meme about this yeah. before the episode even came out. They were, no, they wow. were predicting, like, people are going to get James Callis and Alexander Siddig confused. <laughs> confused, yeah. <laughs> so... Guilty. Yeah, that was me. That was me. Uh, anyway – um, uh, and, and I only had a chance to watch this episode once, uh, so I am, I am the least uh, informed of y'all. Uh, I didn't watch it, you know, at any – like – and I, I, I did spe- find those scenes somewhat confusing because my mind was working on a second level trying to figure out how on earth are they going to tie him in. Being slightly annoyed, I'm like, man, they tried to, like, squeeze another old-school actor in here sort of awkwardly, you know. Like, they already – we already have – Guinan and um you know Q and Laris got shoehorned in and um and I'm like and now Bashir. <laughs> Dave, could you have believed it if he was like an EMH type of thing? Like I mean, yeah, that's what I was yeah. thinking it was gonna be. Yeah. Some kind of because I actually don't know quite his uh, final fate in DS9. So um so yeah, if they had said uh, honestly whatever it was that there was some sort of recording of him that he had ended up drifting into psychology or psychiatry, whatever how his discipline was mentioned, uh, I would have been like Okay, okay, it's a little weird. I don't know why, you know, maybe it's some mental implant that all Federation officers have when they fall on dark times, when they're comatose. <laughs> when, did you, um, when did you learn that it wasn't Bashir, that this was Baltar from Galactica? Um, or was it just now when I said that? Uh, I think it was uh, when I, uh, it was not until the episode was over now that I think about it. Uh, I was watching the credits. I didn't see it mentioned uh, in that um, because I, I guess I didn't see the full credits at the end. And so I, I think I just quick looked at, looked at the credits online and I was like, son of a bitch. <laughs> that's, that's Baltar. <laughs> you know, now both Baltars have been in Star Trek because uh, John Calicos totally. was core on yeah. also on Deep Space Nine. Oh, on the original oh series. that's rad. I didn't even realize. I, I mean, I realized it, but I didn't think yeah, it was yeah. that so way. That's I, I, now, I some... now demand if they reboot Battlestar Galactica to have like a third Baltar. It either has to be someone who has been on Star Trek or that person has to be cast on star trek some point after they they're doing bsg <laughs> all baltars belong to us <laughs> this <laughs> furthers the uh we, we've been talking about the uh gerardi st- six connection the red dress like six from galactica right had uh you know inhabiting this a mind and, and and all that like the board queen is doing um it it, it almost it, it can't help but start to feel like intentional at this point it it, it still may not be but it kind of feels that way 
Well, Terry Metalis said on um, Twitter that he's a huge, uh, basically admitted he's a huge Battlestar Galactica fan because when asked what show uh, that's that's can't you know that's canceled or ended, would you love to have written for? And he said BSG. So hmm. I feel like he spent a lot of time in his head in the BSG world. So. It's interesting. <laughs> I mean, I guess if it's you know if, if it essentially just amounts to like nods or using a favorite actor from that show and something like that, that's cool. I wouldn't really want Trek to be like, look, we spent a, you know a whole season homaging the red dress from Battlestar Galactica for no discernible reason. But like within the story, it it, it makes sense. Dorani's journey is is her own. So yeah, I, I don't I don't think Battlestar Galactica has ownership over the blonde woman in a red dress. But uh, I think they do. The Matrix did it first. <laughs> You know, that's really mm, not, even, that's not even in the show that much. That was just like on like the promotional artwork. That would be like yeah, the ad did, on it, your website. It did factor in kind of heavily in it early in like in the opening. If, I guess if you're watching BSG now for the first time, if you just like catch it streaming on Hulu or whatever, like you probably wouldn't even think that was like that notable of a thing. Yeah, it's not if you binge it now. Um, but yeah, like all the promotional materials showed the red dress and it's not just Always. the blonde with the red dress. It's blonde with the red dress and like mental inhabitation uh, kind of thing. Anyway, I, I still think it's like that's. Any criticisms I have don't really focus on that. So, yeah. But I agree with you, Dave. I think it's an intentional. Uh, it seems like an yeah, intentional, like a hat tip. Nah, like a hat tip. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. I had a little crown when I was a kid. Really? Yeah. That's dope. Were you Jughead? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I have. I have that hat. Right. I have the Jughead hat. I don't. I can't go get it. Oh I'm man. I think that should probably be it. in like poor taste to like wear crowns like this and pretend that you're royalty in the 24th century. But uh, no, we used to imagine like princes and princesses. Yeah, I guess. Like, um, it was like a thing. I guess. But so, are you saying that all fairy tales need to only have blue collar workers and can't? <laughs> can, we can't still pin a little yeah, bit the, of uh, romanticism on the royalty. The monarchs need to be like the villains <laughs> of all of the all of the fairy tales. Uh, but yeah, I guess Picard's mom in her psychosis or whatever is going on. Like sometimes she would put on like a red wig because she has like dark hair when we sh- when they showed her in you know the flashbacks before. But yeah, I thought it was like kind of weird. Like Picard's dialogue, like there was a queen who had fiery red hair and she was female. But uh, <laughs> I like that actually because <laughs> that's a kind of weird queens. way to put it. But you know, I like, like dream dialogue should be queen. weird. Like I know, I know he's a t- he's a terrible asshole and uh, a very bad person. But Joss Whedon wrote better dream sequences than anyone else who's ever worked in film or television that I'm aware of. Because he would always mm. have like the like really surreal dialogue that was kind of like laced with meaning, but not in like an annoying way. Um, I don't mm-hmm. know. It was like uh, really clever. But um, he also kind of like poked fun a little bit at the genre while he was doing it. Buffy had a particular uh, uh, way of uh, you know being able to kind of blend humor and and seriousness. Yeah, um, I, I didn't quite know what to make of the dream stuff early on in this. I think I was initially, I was like, I'm not sure I'm going to like this. Yeah, I actually, it was it was a weird experience for me because I, I had kind of had a hard time piecing it together until I watched the episode a second time. Like the red sun at the very beginning, it's like, you're right, it's like, that's probably representing something else. But yeah, yeah, that was like the thing he was doodling in his little notepad or his little art book or whatever that he, that he drops on the stairs. That's how Maurice finds him in the... In the tunnels. Broadly speaking, it's probably. Uh, uh, I just. I'm only now thinking about this. It is probably a. Uh, it, it's essentially a hint, a uh, premonition, or what's what's the word I'm looking for? Um, uh, that, that that that's his father, which we don't find out for some time into right. the episode, because like in all mythology and and symbol, you know, mythic mm. symbolism, the sun is often representing uh, father figures and and you know gods, uh, you know, you know, kings of the gods, but also specifically you know, fathers often. I guess we, we get to see the, the child imagine, Im, imagination vision of the story, but basically the other thing that like Picard had like all these, I guess, nightmares that haunted him for into his 90s was this, this idea of like 
him and his mom being in their solarium, I think is what you call that room. I called it a, yeah. a, a greenhouse before. I thought maybe it was like for plants, but they're in the room with all of the, the, the windows that they're painting. And then they're, they're chased by monsters. They're chased underground and, uh, Picard is, is stuck. His foot gets stuck. And then something grabs his mom and drags her away. Uh, some, something monstrous. And, uh, when Laris does the little mental connection thing with her Romulan technology and I were, I guess Rom- Gary Seven's people's technology or whoever's technology, but her alien technology allows her to go inside and she uh, kind of sees more to the story. We find out that these images that are haunting him of like the, these monsters and stuff, that the, the actual monsters are his mom's mental health and that uh, w- w- what actually happened was that his, his foot was stuck and his mom was delirious and was running off and then the the dad came and rescued him and then had to restrain the mom and that was uh traumatic to to little kid picard and that he's the therapist that he's been talking to the starfleet therapist all along was actually a representation of his dad mm-hmm. do we we don't yet know the a few things like the, a number of things but one of them is like the precise nature of her mental illness or yeah the, no. the description we get from maurice after picard starts to get more stable and after after dr Teresa used the the neural stabilizer device that she's never seen before but after she mm-hmm. waved it over his head or whatever um but i guess that kind of helped fix him but yeah then he he gives a description of her condition cycles of terrible darkness and mm-hmm. irrational exhilaration so, that sounds like bipolar, bipolar. or um, uh, borderline personality disorder, or, or or maybe a more extreme version of that. Some kind of some kind of psychosis that uh, like um, schizophrenia. I don't know. Yeah, I was thinking more schizophrenia than anything. Because I, I mean, I'm uh, an idiot with all this stuff. I don't know much about mental yeah. health. And we should, yeah, we should probably all clarify that I think none of us are, <laughs> uh, unless uh, Sohail, maybe you you have more knowledge than I uh, know about. But but like I, I'm 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 speaking from a very just complete neophyte. Place. But I think when you're like seeing stuff that's not there and like you feel like in danger, but I think that's common with schizophrenia. So that's what I was kind of thinking. Um, what what I am really curious to know more about, though, are the specifics, because I think it's unusual for Star Trek, even in Kirk's time in the 23rd century. I think it's unusual that mental health wouldn't be more treatable than this. And it almost kind of seems like is the dad just like so like old school and traditional that he's just like locking her up like out of shame that yeah. I mean, that seems unacceptable. Isn't part of his um, the difficulty with this that I mean, we know it also seems to have traumatized him in such a way that like it, it kept him from having long term relationships. Does he also uh, mention like does he have guilt over this? Like, does he feel he played some role? That's what we're wondering. I mean, he has a key, I guess, or something like that. And yeah, there, there's going to be knows? more to the the story. That sure, story, kids yeah. often can feel guilt over like divorcing parents or any sort of traumatic thing their parents go through, feeling that it's on them. That's very common. So, but I wonder, like, you know, did he actually do something like, was she hiding out and he said he pointed, you know, some security officers to her or, you know, was there something very specific like that? Well, I, th- I think his his guilt is that, like, yeah, like he wished he was able to, like, free his mom or, like, let her out of the room or whatever. We, we don't know what he's going to do with that, like, that key. But that's when not Laris Talon, but I think she's going to become Laris somehow. I, I liked her commentary on his trauma on observing, like, his childhood trauma. And she says, uh, oh, you do so much with this pain. You save worlds with it. I think that's the clue that that is Laris. Because why would she know that? Yeah. Like, why would she know like his his future? Yeah. Uh, I or I think I think maybe like Talon will travel into the future, get cryogenically frozen or something. And then like she becomes like a watcher for John Luke Picard instead of Renee Picard or something. Mm. I don't, something like that. I don't know. 
I am I am confused by her stuff, and I actually, to be honest, like her revelation about being a Romulan was something I didn't quite like process. I didn't quite understand what the deal was with that. I she, was I was we, sure she was a Romulan. Yeah, we we had figured of that all out. The tech and all that stuff. Right. And then even even in this episode when she puts the, I mean, there's a chance that the it was just Romulan tech, but I mean, she puts the a Romulan little piece on it and it has a Romulan yeah. shape. Yeah. And so then yeah, she finally reveals it. But I knew she. I had a feeling she was Romulan. So so was she just a. Uh, let's the the Gary. Let's call it the Gary Seven Agency. She works for the Gary Seven Agency. She happened to be a Romulan. She could have taken any form uh, when she met Picard. Did she choose Laris purposely no, 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 because no, no. she actually they, has a they, connection? They, they explain that in here. Um, okay, they, so what is? They, they said that they normally use people that are like the the same species as the planet they're working on, but sometimes. Mm-hmm they'll send people to a similar planet. So yeah, normally they would send like a human to earth, but sometimes they might send something that's close to a human, like a Romulan and just, that's right. Humanoid. Right. You. And then she, she does look like that. That's how she looks. This is her actual look. And, and so it's either like a complete wild coincidence that she looks like the person Picard had a quasi romantic connection with, and at the very least friendship with for years. Uh, or there is some meaningful connection that, I cannot parse. <laughs> Back to the future influence. Picard is like, oh, you must be her ancestor. But I think that there's going to be more to it yeah. than that. You know, you just said Back to the Future. That actually kind of made me think maybe one of like, I almost needed that immediacy that Back to the Future uses to get to jolt things when like Marty's hand starts to disappear. Mm. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that's because that's a little ways, good ways into the movie. And they're like, oh, man, if you screw this up. You're going to start and, and we're already seeing the effects start to happen. Uh, like, I, I think I needed some little jolt like that this episode mm. to make me think, oh, man, they need to get Picard rolling. We got to get this get this thing moving. Our, our friend Brian, who is uh, typically uh, with us on on the live show, but he's saying in the live audience. So all of Picard's female close friends turn out to be people that he first met in the Earth's past. First guy in LR. <laughs> yeah, he keeps meeting these women out of order. He met Guinan <laughs> in the funny. 1800s. He met Laris in the 21st century. But yeah, but we'll see if we'll see if if we turn out to be right about that. But uh, I I think that this is going to be Laris, and that otherwise I don't really know why we're wasting time with all this stuff between the two of them. If this is just like an ancestor that looks like her, but if, it, if it's actually someone who is Loris or was Loris or becomes Loris, and then they, they build up to a relationship between the two of them, then that kind of makes sense and adds some value to all this screen time we're spending with the, the two of them here. I feel like they're going to have to have some pretty cool explanation for me to think that it, that that was a good idea. <laughs> Well, I think I think an easy one would just be Picard goes back to the to the future at the end of the season, and then when he gets there, Laris is like, "Oh yeah, that was me. That's how I met you." And then like I, but like, didn't he just randomly save she and her husband during the evacuation of like uh, Romulus? Unless the Gary Seven agency Did she specifically make sure she was in the right, right place it, at the evacuation so that she could be like a watcher for John Luke Picard. Maybe like that's mm. what the Gary Seven agency is like using her for in the in the twenty fifth century. Hmm. I, 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 there's, there's a part of me that like also doesn't like the, the Gary Seven Agency uh, creeping around watching people like the CIA um, <laughs> either, uh, and so like the notion that he's got like somebody who's been assigned to him who's basically was just like I don't know there as a spy essentially even if it was to help him, eh, I'm not loving it. But again, well I gotta see how that plays I, out. I never in my mind imagine like the Gary Seven planet people. They're like they're like these noble beings. I think that they might be, actually be up to a lot of shady stuff like that probably, and, and they're hubris. <laughs> I don't think that, like, it didn't particularly feel like Roddenberry intended that to be their vibe. I think he wanted them to be a cool, like, spy with a, you know, kind of a larger-than-life vibe to them. But that was broadly benevolent in the in the 60s, you know, uh, original episode. 
I mean, they were trying to stop us from nuking ourselves. Pretty traditional kind of uh, 60s altruistic goal for, for nice aliens. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. I think the Watchers are some kind of, you know, Metron Q. Yeah, but all these godlike blah, 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 alien like... beings, they always think like that they know best. They're always, yeah, it's they're, true. they're always like kind of a kind of jerks. They represent, in Star Trek, they represent billionaires and we need to defund them. <laughs> Do they? <laughs> defund they're Gary the, Seven. They're the, uh, they're the <laughs> oligarchs of the universe. They, they, they the concentrate all the, the power universe. into. Defund Q and Trelane. <laughs> exactly. Depower them. Yeah. And it might be happening, so. <laughs> I like the idea that Laris is a watcher because they're not just like watching a person, but the whole line, you know, like there's like a something, to, something to do with the Picard line being special somehow. No, no Jedi, wonder... no Jedi. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Uh, <laughs> that's a really good point. Uh, but, but, um, but I wonder if it's actually, you know, Laris had that look on her face uh, at the end of the future scene before they, you know, before they traveled to the stargazer and so that's kind of like what's giving me that vibe is that like she had this kind of like suspicious look on mm, her face yeah, so, yeah that's, so. a, that's a fair point by the way in the comments brian says he's amazed that the watchers uh, don't know about the q is that the case they didn't they didn't indicate any knowledge of him uh he had to explain q to her in the well two the, episodes ago i believe her employers might know she said that the uh there's uh, need to know being, yeah yeah higher beings who who know more they, I only pro- know they probably compartmentalize a lot of that information yeah <laughs> the, oh man i sorry i just saw andrew hayes's comment there was no watcher present for picard's brother and nephew <laughs> nope yeah them, them picards uh, i guess didn't have any value up in a house fire cool maybe the watcher said it who knows they, they got to make sure things line up right so that laris can bang kurt or picard and oh yeah so that, so that he'll want to like have kids so that he'll yeah we must have his progeny must continue yeah. maybe terrible. it's the dude from, it's the dude from star trek prodigy it's the he's he's manipulating the these events. yeah the he's, he's like the benny jesuit trying to ensure a bloodline <laughs> that they can work with no no god please no <laughs> I think that diviner is all behind everything. It's gonna be everything. <laughs> uh, you know uh, about the dream scenes. I just on a purely technical level, I want to say like they they did have a cool like eerie vibe to them. I know they wanted to spin it kind of suspense and horror-y. It looked like a like gothic movies or neo gothic movies. Um, and uh, uh, you know the, the the little brief glimpses of like distorted faces and creatures and stuff were pretty cool. Uh, I, I was not super engaged with it because I was kind of. I guess I was my head was like, yeah, go ahead and get to the points, get to the reveals. Uh, so I unfortunately I feel the craftsmanship was a little bit wasted on me. Mm-hmm. Well, I like the the chateau being like this place with like a lot of history and a lot of mysteries and stuff. So I like that they're able to continue to to show it to be like this like this old uh, important place that is like connected to to Picard's lineage and, and his personal history. And so that that imagery was really cool. And then also the ready room or whatever that yeah he says he, like I was in my ready room. I think that's the stargazer ready room that we just haven't seen yet. We'll probably see it in like season three. Um, but uh, that was that was cool. You know the show that spent so much time being set on Earth. We haven't had like any space shots or anything the last few episodes until like this episode. So I was you almost kind of forget you're watching Star Trek until you see this. It's like oh a dude in a Starfleet uniform and it was a sharp looking yeah. uniform that looked kind of like that a, is a nice it's like a hybrid of like both Deep Space Nine style uniform right? You have like the the black with like the color on top, but it's kind of like the black with the gray on top. It's kind of like both of those kind of combined because it was it was gray, but it didn't have like the 
the texture of like the, the the first contact black and gray uniform. Yeah, I was like uh, looking good, Bashir. And I <laughs> that also helped him look more like Bashir because it's similar to the uniforms that Alexander. <laughs> I think that's Sadiq part of what wore. threw me. Yeah, <laughs> but I uh, and I liked that that conversation between the uh, the two of them when Maurice or the, like the the dreamed up version of Maurice says to John Luke. You lived longer than me, but I got to keep my hair. Which <laughs> Q Q depicted him as not having hair. In that well, if you go scene. back and watch Tapestry, because I I was thinking like, wasn't he kind of bald? And that yeah, that guy he's like very bald, but he still has a lot more hair than Patrick Stewart has. Yeah, because Patrick it's Stewart's true, totally he, he's got like some eyebrows and that's it. Like he's got nothing else on his head. Gene Roddenberry said people wouldn't care in the 23rd yeah, century yeah but, uh, well maurice picard is maurice is old in, school uh, maurice is old is, school. he's like he's like a representation yeah. so is of, yeah. so is robert that's where robert learned that from i did imagine like oh robert is older than john luke so he would probably have like a better understanding of the stuff when it happens mm. and that's why robert would be like a little closer to their dad and it was even like when i'm watching you know like this this uh husband and father when he's trying to like restrain his his wife who's freaking out and and the little kid is like freaking out next to him I was like this guy needs some help like where is where like i it'd be nice if he had like his teenage son there to like help him with all this actually stuff. having having robert in this may maybe would have made me feel a different way about it but i feel like they were kind of setting up that you know including you know just picard's general like even from tng the one brief time we see maurice like and then also the way robert kind of uh treats uh, jean-luc with the bullying and stuff like that I wouldn't say that I, you know, I, I, I wasn't expecting Maurice to be abusive physically, but I was expecting him to be uh, abusive uh, mentally. Like I was expecting him to be meaner mm. than this guy is based on what I've seen yeah. in TNG. So but I, I like that it's a misunderstanding some... that like John Luke kind of like misunderstood his dad and that's why they have the schism instead of his dad just being an asshole. I don't know. This is more interesting to me. It is interesting, but it seems like Jean Luc, at least until he was a teenager, had to deal with Maurice. And so maybe he gets worse later on, but it just mm. seems like it's skirting over. This well, yeah, it seems like like, you know? like I, I can see Maurice because like it seems like he basically he failed to deal with his wife's issues well. Uh, like he made you know he he probably made some sounds like he made some mistakes, but um, even if he was a, a well intentioned at times, and and you <laughs> yeah. know like that can that can break uh, you know a family that could break a person yeah. you know like mental illness. Uh, especially if they if they don't understand it, if he was so old school that he declined to have treatment or didn't you know sort of give her the agency yeah, to do it. Yeah, and I, I hope that's not the case. I'm gonna be disappointed in that. I mean, here he implies that she didn't want help, but like to me, it seems like Maurice, my uh, my at least my understanding of Maurice would have been like, no, we don't do it that way. Yeah. Like that the, kind of. Then thing, if that's the know? case, like, I don't blame John Luke for hating his dad. Hating his dad. That's, yeah, that's exactly. a pretty yeah. shitty way to to live life in the. The 21st century, I, that's like yeah. pretty unforgivable yeah. for the refined 24th. Exactly. Totally the reveal of this episode, unless they want to subvert their own subversion, you know, because at first we're like, oh, it's the, the dad is abusive or whatever. And then it's like, oh, he was actually, you know, it was actually the, the mom who was at least the source of this anguish. Um, I don't think, and, and, the, and the father was at least trying to do his best, maybe within limitations, I don't know, if they reveal that he straight up like forbade, you know, uh, her from getting treatment or something like that. I think that would really completely ruin everything. So I don't think they'll do that unless they want to throw him under the bus. <laughs> and it doesn't feel like that. Yeah. 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 I, I think you're right. Yeah. But I mean, I guess that's where I just, I just felt a lot of anger from Jean-Luc and I can't believe that he wouldn't have more sympathy for his dad unless his dad, his dad did some really horrible things. Anger in that TNG episode or anger in this episode? 
in the TNG and here he's like you, you monster. You know, like well, when he because first confronts he did, it, like, didn't he you know, only like, now come to terms because Laris was poking and prodding and he was talking to his father's imaginary self? Yeah. Didn't he only just now learn that his father was trying to protect him? Yeah, I think that that might be that might be the case. And you know, I I think it'd be more interesting if Picard was wrong, if if John Luke was wrong about uh, his dad all his life, and then now in like his nineties mm-hmm. he's starting to like come to terms with like, oh, I misjudged my dad. I guess then I want more dimension. Like I would love to see like teenage Jean-Luc like dealing with his dad as well. Like just focusing on this one time period doesn't give me enough information about like their relationship and the misunderstanding, I guess. But I, I will just say that. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I'm, I'm holding my breath and waiting to see what happens. Like, cause we don't have yeah. the whole story. They've yet, set so. up a, they're, they're on yeah. a bit of a precipice and if they kind of don't handle it somewhat smartly or interestingly, then, you know, it could kind of go awry. It could. Yeah, it's um, true. But I'm, again, I'm pretty sure they've, Thought, thought it through pretty carefully hopefully satisfyingly i think there's like a love for the series from the the producers of the show that like i do think there's a lot of care and stuff like that i will just say that like maybe a press maybe one thing we can look at is like a a cue as to like uh, maurice and his relationship with yvette is how robert was with his wife marie uh he was very hard on renee but not as hard as maurice i imagine i, I imagine both sons are not as hard as maurice was you know but uh he was hard on renee he was very strict but then with marie he was very tender and so maybe there was something you know but again i would love to see robert in this i think it would have been a great opportunity to have robert and like i think that would have added the dimension i would have liked i would have liked to have seen him because he has a there's already a strong emotional connection or rough connection with picard but i see why they didn't because they they wanted the the essentially a triangle of uh of characters to care about and not a a rectangle i guess you know one more kind of complication uh father i see you uh, i think you pulled up geek filters question and i i do have a a, it's an interesting question how does picard learn that his father you know essentially has this is is more innocent than he thought he said picard doesn't actually have his dad in his head he's not trill is this q it is q uh laris uh sorry uh talon says Q is showing you this for a reason. There's like an, there's a re or, or Jean-Luc says that. That, That's possible. But but I I think it it could also just be, you know, like memories that he hasn't like really processed. He's recontextualizing them with maybe some prodding. Yeah. That's a good way to frame it. Recontextualizing. That's, that's how I, that's how I interpreted it at least. Like maybe his, like the memories were there, but they had only ever been analyzed through kind of a child's eyes and a teenager's eyes and had never kind of had this, uh, he he was kind of recontextualizing. I mean, I've I've recontextualized stuff about my just just uh you know within my thirties. I've I've had enough time to like think about some of the things like my parents were like when I was a little kid, and I'm like, uh, oh yeah, that makes like a lot more sense now. See, so. that's the thing though. I feel like I thought my dad was really horrible and strict when I was a kid, but when I became a teenager, I started getting him, and I'm just surprised. I guess Jean Luc just well, it shut took him, him off. Took and... him a lot longer. Maybe you'll figure out even more about your dad. So hell, when you're like in your nineties, maybe you'll you'll yeah, understand might, even it's more. True. I mean, I love my dad, so like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm at peace with my pops. But yeah, like, you know, he's, he turned out to be no Maurice Picard. Thank goodness, you know, at least not the way I. Like Aaron also pointed out in the live audience that uh, that Maurice forced his kids to dress up like nineteenth uh, century <laughs> that was awesome. newsies. Nineteenth so. century newsies. Well, let's talk about Picard after he wakes up and he talks to Talon about like, oh, okay, there's a, what is it that his mom told him? Uh, no one knows you better than your enemy. I need to, I need to talk to Q. I need to find out what is exactly Q's motivation and all of this. What does he want from me? That's a slightly weird thing to say to a kid. I mean, <laughs> I get that she may have been a little was, unbalanced, yeah, but like, I don't cuckoo. know that that's like, 
if you're like a that's something like Napoleon would say, right? <laughs> but she also said, "Grab what you love." I can't breathe here. Let's go. Like that's weird things to say to a kid too. Yeah, um, uh, since it is since he is supposed to be kind of taking it as like her wisdom, though that's a little weird because like. Well, you, you may be taking the wisdom of a person who was really, as he put it, struggling. Um, so I don't know if that's yeah. a, if that was if that was a diamond in the rough. But there, I think there's that kind was of a truth to that, right? Like, uh, yeah, like your enemy would know you pretty well, or they would they would at least have they've given you some thought. I, I, it's weird for me to think of people unless you're like into like you know like you're a warrior, you're into politics, as having enemies. But I guess people do, you know, even if it's just like internet arguments and stuff like oh, that. Like yeah, I guess you yeah. do. You array yourself against. You don't have any enemies, things. Dave. You're you're a, you're a very <laughs> sweet person. You don't have any enemies. Uh, I know for a fact that there's people that like they like stay awake late at night. Like fathery, I hate that son really? of a bitch. Yeah, like really. <laughs> wow. Uh, I uh, I um I occasionally get into dust ups in the argue uh, in the comment section of my like local news uh, Facebook page. <laughs> that's that's as close as I get. Maybe she should have told him to study your enemy's art like Grand Admiral Thrawn. But I just want to say one last thing, Fathery, about that scene when she's painting on the uh, terrarium. What you Solarium? Not terrarium. Solarium uh, wall. Why is she painting Batman? Yeah, I thought it was Black <laughs> Panther. I thought it was T'Challa. <laughs> oh, it was, Black it was T'Challa. Okay. I thought it was Batman. <laughs> but it could have been T'Challa. Yeah, I actually dang. did think that the, the, I, I kind of liked the overall look of that uh, sort of stained glassy to sort of dark fairy tale thing. I thought it was. A, I thought the set designers did cool stuff there. Mm-hmm. I agree. So, Dave, you mentioned that you really liked the Elorian lore that we get, and I, I did think it was kind of weird. Like, all Elorians care about like food and drink, and that brings us close together. Like, I mean, it kind of sounds like they're all bartenders, but it's that old, um, it's kind of that old trope that Brian has talked about. You see a lot in science fiction where whenever you introduce all like, the aliens a, are the same. Well, not 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 that not that they're like monocultural, but whenever like you introduce a a character of like a new species, like that first mm -hmm. one you meet. They normally have to be kind of like a representative of, of mm. those people. Like Spock being like a good example. I know Spock's kind of an atypical Vulcan, but in those first three years of the original series, when we're getting to know the Vulcan, Spock is a representation of them. You know, he's trying to devote his his life to the to the Vulcan ways. He's trying to be a, a being of pure logic. Um, you know, Worf represents a lot of the Klingon values. Uh, even though like he is sometimes more of a pure noble Klingon than like your standard Klingon, he's still kind of he's almost like the the super Klingon. Um, mm -hmm. it, so it's kind of like so I guess Guinan is kind of like uh yeah she just represents a lot of the the Elorian. Uh, is Soren the only other main one we know? And then there was the the dude in uh in Deep Space oh, in Deep, Nine, Deep Space uh, Nine, <laughs> uh, who is Prince Humperdinck, by the way, from oh. the Princess Bride. I love that actor. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's um, great. Does he seem like a food and drink kind of guy? Because Soren didn't particularly. Yeah, I mean, like he was trying to open up a a, a uh, rival like a... casino to Quarks. And I guess they would also they also had like food and drink available there. So. Okay. All right. The Elorians, other than being the race of listeners, um, haven't had uh, too much definition. Uh, you know, the, even even sort of a the way, say, Betazoids have. You know, we're always hurting little bits and pieces about Betazoids. And I don't know that I love everything that they revealed in there. I'm not sure if having a Q summoning drink is that didn't quite make sense to me. But um, well, I was just going to say I would have loved to have had a uh, like a segment where it's I Dream of Genie with uh, Guinan as Major Nelson and Q as Genie. It, it, does, it does kind of seem like the Genie in the bottle thing. But I, I like specific. that. I actually like that. I thought it was weird enough to it was that it was it was interesting. But yeah, the food and drink thing, it, it like it that will now forever partially, you know, that's going to define future Elorians. That's, that's going to be a lot of them in RPG role playing games and in Star Trek Online and stuff. That's probably going to get factored in. Yeah, um, for sure. 
but uh, and I think that's kind of neat. It's a it's a neat simple thing to hang your hat on. It does deep. You're right, Brian. Brian is correct. It does deeply tie them into Guinan as their representative. But um, I think I, I also think it's a cool thing, though. I like it. What I like the most about the Elurians of them being like a, a race of listeners is that they're receptive. They like they're sensitive. They they like pick up on people's vibes. They pick up on if the timeline's been uh, messed with. Uh, so yeah. they kind of have like the sensor sensory perception, like when when she does like the the scary claws in this episode when she thinks that they've they've summoned Q, but instead it's a FBI agent who comes down the stairs. But like she's doing it in a way like not like she's ready to like pounce and attack, but to me it felt like she's doing it as like she's trying to get like a reading, like they're like yeah. her like her her fingertips are like her like antennae antennae scanning. Yeah, I like the idea that uh, subtle movements of what she was doing were like she's like poking at the fabric of reality. I mean, or maybe, something but like I, that. I, I I took it as more of like an an internal thing where like you're listening where like you're fine-tuned like give your ear to the ground mm. and you're like you're, mm. you're getting a reading on the cosmos and since they've always been described as a race of listeners i, I to me like that feels like a a more natural and, and for me a more interesting idea you think she was listening to the background noise of the cosmos to see <laughs> if it was blowing in a cue and she was like picking up like uh, like fm radio waves and all kinds of stuff <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I, I like that interpretation. Uh, I imagine that will actually get pinned down somewhere or another. Um, by the way, that actor I uh, know well from the TV series The Shield. He was one of the main guys. He was Dutch. He also shows up on Sons of Anarchy, which had some of the same, a lot of the same producers and some of the same actors. Yeah, the, the actor who plays the FBI agent, uh, Jay Carnes, has caused a lot of uh, conversation online because yes. he played a time cop in... And Star Trek Voyager in uh, the episode Relativity. He's on like this time fleet ship in the 29th century. And, I did not know this. Yeah, so a lot of people Duquesne. a lot of people are convinced that he is he's reprising that character. I am very confident he is not Duquesne from Relativity. I th- I think that is That is a not weird casting choice in a time travel story who's You want me to explain why? You want me to explain why they cast him? No, I just want to cast aspersions on it. Well, <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Hit, hit me. I, it does seem like I mean like uh, without having seen the episode, I, that feels like a good guess to me. But well, this dude. What, what you got? Well, first of all, like they told us like months ago when he first showed up in a trailer, they're like, he's not mm-hmm. Duquesne, he's a different character. I know, like they did say yeah. that. Yeah, and people lie, like producers yeah. and writers lie all the time. Right. Um, you know, we we were also told once upon a time Benedict Cumberbatch wasn't going to be con. However, like I'm not right. sure why you would play this up as a surprise like this and like lie to your audience. And also, this guy is friends with Terry Metalis. He was in the TV show Twelve Monkeys, so it really looks to me like Terry Metalis just like wanted to work with this guy. And so they they yeah. cast him as this character, and it's unrelated to Duquesne. But if people if people think that it's Duquesne, I I'd want to hear you know which side of the of the conversation do you agree with? Do you think it's Duquesne or do you think it's not? You should say now if you if you have strong feelings about it, and then you know we'll have we'll be able to check the tape and prove if if you were right <laughs> or wrong later. So, but I, I'm going on record now. It it ain't Duquesne. Let me. Quit- we presented a theory last night on our space that I agree with. I think it's that. Do you remember what you said, Fathery? What did I say? You said that this is the little boy grown up. Oh, no, I got Vulcan that from Aaron. Yeah. yeah, Aaron. And oh, I think, Aaron, I think said that. Aaron That's cool. in okay. our audience right now. Oh, there you go. He's saying if he is not Duquesne, then he is the kid who got the Vulcan mind meld. It always there looked very 50s. 
So my guess is that the kid and he basically became Fox Mulder. And yes, uh, that is uh, talking about in one of the trailers for the season a long time ago, they showed like a quick shot of like some kid uh, in the forest and maybe like some Vulcan putting his hand on his head or something. Yeah, so, which we haven't even seen yet. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> if crazy. this guy, wow. if this guy is just like an actual FBI agent, he does seem to be a guy like investigating like weird paranormal type stuff. You know, he's, he's like, oh, look, this guy like beamed down from outer space. So yeah, he has a very like Fox Mulder-y type of, of FBI agent. If, if you're familiar with the x-files you know what we're talking about but uh but yeah he he ends up arresting picard and guinan and so we we like the same ending as we got with episode three where it's like uh rios being hauled off in handcuffs but he left his com badge so that seven and raffi can find him it's like here like picard gets hauled off in handcuffs but he leaves his com badge behind so raffi and seven can find him it's been a rough day for picard he just got hit by a car you know like this whole season's only taken place in like uh, a couple of days <laughs> you know it's yeah i know they got back in time on april 12th and then i think at this point it's either because they had like at least one night where they they went to the 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 gala but i I think it's actually been two nights so i think it's april 15th now i think it's now like the day of the the time change which is funny the day that we're doing this live and recording it's actually april 15th so i hope everyone's filed your taxes in in the united (laughs) states today's the deadline actually it's the 18th it's monday oh they extended it oh okay yeah okay well good for them <laughs> I was just trying to think. Uh, Picard got, did get hit by a card. Uh, the uh, doctor lady said that she had to put her hands in his chest or something like that. Yeah. Um, uh, can I presume that his like uh, robot body, artificial body, whatever he has, kind of might have patched up a little faster than your average? Uh, yeah, that's ninety. Not, not according. Old. Not according to what they've said on screen. Is that his body's indistinguishable from it's, a human body? That, it'll, it, it'll that's still, what I was thinking. It'll still get sick. It'll still die. So he kind of mm. got better for the same reason that people uh, in movies get punched, uh, get the <laughs> shit beaten out of them, and then they shake it off and dust themselves off and move on because that's a plot point. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, man, ain't uh, ain't nobody that old walking away from a car crash like ten hours well, later. He's had, I guess he's had like twenty fourth century vitamins all his life, so maybe that. <laughs> that's true. He's, he's I, we know uh, he's probably in a, a very fit. So, yeah, very, very spry for a guy who's yeah. going to turn a century in four years. I looked it up. It's 96. Yep. So. Oh, cool. OK. I wasn't loving the uh, the FBI thing because it just at this point, it just feels like a bit of a complication. And I'm like right. mainly want to see Q and or uh, his uh, ancestor, Renee, you know, like that. That feels like where the action is now. But there's probably things I don't know about these FBI guys that's going to become relevant. Um, but, uh, yeah, like it didn't, it didn't hit me as like, oh, cool. Or, whoa, so dramatic. He's taken by the FBI. Uh, I was more like, uh, yeah, but like I, I said I'm... at the top of the show, it's like, yeah, we have a lot of, pl- uh, spinning plates already. And then I guess we're, we're adding more with the, the whole yeah. FBI. And angle. I, yeah. Like I'm not even convinced yet that Rene Picard is the thing that the goal to change, you know what I mean? Like, I'm still wondering about Corey, uh you know who we didn't even see her and soong in this episode. yeah so we still have all that stuff to you deal know. with we still have like a yeah. lot of the board queen stuff going on brian and, and the audience is saying i think the fbi guy is going to take picard to q yeah maybe they can streamline mm. some of that stuff and have it uh tie in together tie in yeah because uh, we do need to get yeah. back to q and figure out what exactly is you know all of q's mysteries uh why is he sick why is he dying or whatever you know why is he desperate one of the the sort of risks of the the, the serial format is let you know, like kind of need multiple swerves to sometimes build to a big payoff um and and yeah i'm a little bit worried that like well you know they may swerve and renee may not be the you know the actual end goal that may be kind of a um macguffin essentially but uh you know will it be satisfying i don't know <laughs> well let's talk about uh rios and Teresa and uh ricardo a little kid and uh i guess uh rios wanting to be a uh, 
the 21st century stepdad instead of getting back to his crew on the USS Stargazer. And he seems to have kind of forgotten about his starship and all of his duties. And uh, he's, he's got the googly eyes for Teresa. I guess this also confirms that he doesn't uh, see um, Gerardi as like a sort of a long-term prospect. Oh, yeah, they, they kind of uh, yeah. touched on that last week when she kissed him and he was like not into it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She seems like a, she seems a little erratic, uh, even under, under the best of circumstances. And, you know, when possessed by a Borg queen, maybe particularly <laughs> well, yeah, so. I think that was the Borg queen kissing him. Right, right. Yeah, but Gerardi, Gerardi was yeah. still into it, too. Because like, yeah. then, then she was like kind of disappointed at his... Um, I mean, I his re- rejection. <laughs> <laughs> but the the whole conversation about uh, about yeah, like his dad wasn't around, so he always looked up to to father figures. And you had that that captain on the what was the ship he was on the the Ibn Ibn Majed Ibn Majid, in season yeah. one, and then and then he looked up to Admiral Picard as like a father figure. And now he wants to be like a, a father figure to to little Ricardo, I guess. Uh, that's another thing. Like, if you're uh, a dude who's ever tried to like date a woman who has a has a kid, that's like you kind of have to uh, figure out, you know, like um, a relationship with the kid at some point. Or I got, I've been on like both uh, sides of this. Now that I think of, I've been like I've been like the little kid with a single mom, and like who are like these weird guys trying to date my mom, and then I've been like the the adult <laughs> trying to like date a yeah. woman, and I'm like why do you have like this weird kid with you? <laughs> so, so I've seen it from like both points. Of, or I guess there's three points of you. I've seen it from two of the three, but I, I thought that all felt like really like her like being kind of protective of Ricardo and like um, yeah like I don't know if I want you around my kid. You're kind of weird, and and then him being like mm-hmm. okay, I'm gonna show you everything and show you the truth. And you want weird. Yeah. Show you some weird. <laughs> and then Ricardo saying, uh, I'm going to touch everything, <laughs> which I don't think any kid would actually say that. I think they would do yeah. that. I don't know if they would like announce that's it. That's one like of those that. lines that they do in Disney and Pixar movies that's meant to make the audience laugh at the precociousness, but annoys the shit out of me. Yeah. I don't like it. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, I see in the comments, by the way, this is jumping back slightly, that um, I think it was Aaron saying that, uh, or somebody else brought up the notion that the FBI agent could be Gary Seven. Uh, that was Daniel, I think. Daniel yeah, yeah. Daniel mentioned that. it, and then Aaron was like, mm. "You know, Gary Seven would be older." Although the exact nature of like, I, I don't know if like Gary Seven or agents for his organization might have something else that slows down their aging process, or who knows. Or if they're time travelers, it's not really clear. Yeah, right? they, like, they, they, could... they didn't do any time traveling in the original series. They were all like actually in the 1960s. But if they're gonna mm. like, if that's gonna be some aspect of Laris slash um, Talon. Then you know, then that may be re- that yeah. could be revealed. Well, I don't Gary think it's necessary Seven. there. I think she could just like cryogenically freeze herself and wait, wait for uh, her new assignment with John Luke. Um, the Gary Seven thing is kind of making more sense to me because it would uh, it would kind of bring full circle the nod to that era. But <laughs> we'll see. He could be the young FBI agent that inter- uh, ter- interrogates uh, Chekhov, uh, and that's what triggered him to go on this like <laughs> alien tech journey as well. Do you, do you have any other thoughts on, on Rios and Teresa? I feel like um, he's he's moving a little fast. <laughs> but uh, but I, I'm neither here nor there. I like I think I, I was more into it a, a little bit earlier on. It's, it seems one of those things that when you, when I think about like sort of serious stuff in a time travel story, then, you know, romantic flings start to feel like I'm like, aren't you all trying to save all of the future? I'm like, you know, maybe pipe down with the hormones a they little bit. They always do it, though. Like, every every Star Trek time travel, you either have Sarah Silverman or someone show up that, like, you, you end up revealing your, your secrets to. <laughs> Am I correct that in, that in City on the Edge of Forever, Kirk and Spock knew they had, what, weeks or even, like, a few months until the critical time point? 
So they were just biding their time, just kind of living normal lives. They knew that they just had to kind of wait some stuff out, right? And in that time, yeah, yeah you could fall for somebody. Um, if you're like, man, we got to be moving now. We got to go catch the board queen. We got to do all this stuff. But like, I'm going to pause to like, you know, try and <laughs> try and woo someone. That's when it seems yeah. weird. <laughs> and I'm wondering if they're going to leave him in the 21st century. Well, I'm starting to think that that could be possibly, but my favorite theory, which I don't like, I'm not happy about this. Then why is, is it your favorite? Like Edith, Cause it's probably what's going to happen <laughs> is that she's like an Edith Keeler. Type she's going to have to die. She has, to, she's going to have to die. No, no they wouldn't orphan little Dr. Ricardo. <laughs> they wouldn't she do that. Be deported. <laughs> Dr. Teresa must die. Terry Metallus <laughs> would do. Well, it's actually, from what I understand, Terry Metalis was responsible for like starting off season two, but then he kind of passed the the controls over to Akiva Goldsman. And Akiva Goldsman is kind of driving the ship right now because Terry was developing season three. And then season three mm. is all gonna be Terry's vision. And I kinda did, to be honest, like I kinda did like prefer like the Metallus stuff at the beginning of season two more than the stuff we're getting now in the second half, which bodes well for season three when we're getting the the full on Terry Metallus show, but uh but yeah, it does make me like a little uneasy about how or how they're going to c- conclude season two. You know, I don't think that they could have her satisfactorily travel to the future with him when all is said and done, because she's got like work to be well, done she's here. Take and the it kid does, too. Yeah. She she can't abandon him. Well, I mean, yeah, like if he hy- hypothetically could come to, but but right. I, I think that they they've made pretty clear she's doing important work in the present. I don't think they're going to want to uh, undermine that. I could see I could see him staying. But that's a little bit of a weird plot thing for him since he just regained his captaincy and there seemed to be momentum on that. Right. And he seemed to be enjoying you're it. You're kind of a so. shitty captain if you're just going to – like the last time I saw my ship and my crew, they were all like getting getting blown up by the Borg. But you know what? I'm just going to – I'm just going to assume they'll figure it out and I'm going to stay here with this cute girl. If if through some timey-wimey stuff, he could be assured that they weren't, that they were okay. Then, he I, then even... I'd be fine. I'd be fine with it. Okay. I mean it's still kind of weird to just fuck up the timeline and stay stay back in time, but – uh, it's also it's also weird if you're like a uh, man like the 21st century is really cool. I mean, yeah, it sucks. Sometimes you get detained by ice, but have you seen like an actual like real book of matches? That's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say that like it 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 also doesn't make sense because if they correct the timeline or whatever, if they correct whatever Q did, Q like took them out of their fate, put them in an alternate timeline by create by changing something in the past but he actually moved their consciousness over to this alternate yeah. timeline from the prime let's call it or whatever but but now when they fix everything shouldn't they just all pop back to the future like do they have to travel back to the future would it just erase everything that was wrong i don't know it's, a lot I'm, of times I'm, that's I'm how it happens you yeah. fix stuff and then they, they could they could write it that way and it would i think that would feel fine and natural i mean w- fine, when q yeah. is involved you you can throw the rules out the window it's, it's it so maybe there's another anything. factor maybe maybe rios will have no choice maybe he tries to stay in the past but actually when everything gets fixed he gets that would be the best way to future. do it and i've thought of that before like yeah. if they need someone to like make like the sacrifice play and like stay behind then yeah he he could like volunteer to to be the the man to stay behind if they have a little bit of time in the present and uh you know when they don't have to just be chasing board queens and stuff i hope at the very least they get to you know hook up Joe <laughs> 47 our live audience is saying why do they spend so much money on these stargazer sets perhaps picard or Riker will captain the stargazer in season three and uh jill i i'm very confident that season three is going to be uh, Picard and his TNG friends on the Stargazer. That that will be the ship of season three. Where season two takes place in the 21st century, season three will take place on the Stargazer. That lends credence for sure to uh, Rio staying in the present. Yeah, because they don't they don't yeah, need him. Yeah, true. They don't need him. Yeah, Picard's like, oh, I could take over my old ship. Yeah. 
also technically like that could be any modern ship like they could redress it and it could become you know another ship but i i agree i like the idea that the stargazer although you know i'm being maybe precious here but i want the enterprise e to show up or mm-hmm. or the new enterprise i don't know like i want to see enterprise they're, well they're not going to make so, it an whatever. enterprise show because they're not going to do two star trek shows of adventures on an enterprise and the strange new world is going to premiere well in that's three a weeks. shame father that's not that's, that's not a shit that's the right shame. call you should not have you should not have multiple <laughs> enterprise shows at the same time that is the correct thing but to it do. is weird to like get picard and the gang back together not on the enterprise yeah it's it kind of realistic like like yeah like why would things tumble out well, maybe that way? they'll show but up they maybe, usually... maybe they'll have like the enterprise e show up for like one special moment that i can see happening like you know maybe one of them is i, I don't know if like any of those people ended up commanding the enterprise any of the yeah. former crew or in an emergency take it over uh, but yeah aaron, aaron is pointing out terry did say that there would be a ton of starfleet vessels in season three you know what i would love mm. is if picard is in command of an entire fleet like that fleet we got mm. at the beginning of season two and like the the stargazer is just his flagship and he and he might have Riker on one of those ships Jordy on another ship crusher on another mm. ship and they're all in command of their own ship and he's like coordinating this entire fleet to do some crusher on pasteur yes yeah they might need a hospital ship who knows yeah it's weird to me that though everybody becoming captains like they, they already kind of maybe stretched that a little bit like i'm just like i don't know that that's the destiny for everyone <laughs> well, some of those people have, i mean we we saw some of those people in alternate futures right. become captains yeah yeah jordy got the challenger on voyager Riker got the enterprise and all good things so Worf is a governor of a Klingon colony, and see there that that makes more sense to me. Like that's a high position, but he's not just straight up a captain. Yeah, but maybe they'll actually like explain what's going on with Worf, unlike Star Trek Nemesis. Father, um, can you uh, throw up Aaron's comment, his last comment? Oh, <laughs> uh, you get a ship. You get a ship. Everybody oh, gets a ship. <laughs> <It's> a ship. <laughs> I can just see Oprah screaming, like, <laughs> <laughs> throwing the, uh, eagle mosses. The last, the last <laughs> thing from this episode we have to talk about is Seven and Raffi. Um, they they didn't really do a ton, but they were uh, investigating Gerardi and trying to track her down. So I'm glad that they actually showed. You know, someone was actually like, "Hey, we should really, you know." worry about where our friend ran off to and uh they, they find out she has under the influence of the borg queen they see her install some borg code on the ship so now their their ship is kind of restricted from them they're i'm not real clear on what the limitations are there but uh they you don't... know when that happened uh when they were like oh there's borg queen tech infecting the ship or like code code uh, borg code or something mm-hmm. in here I think I would have, like, freaked the fuck out. I would have been like, wait, this <laughs> ship that we're in right now with all its life support systems and all, all that could do all these things, uh, release toxic gases, who knows? Like, the Borg Queen is controlling that. I think I'd freak the fuck out. Well, I mean, Seven of Nine is uh, is Borg and has, like, used Borg technology on ships before. Like, they, they put Borg tech in Voyager and the Delta Flyer and the Stargazer, so it's not I as... I mean, the uh... way they're reacting, it doesn't seem like they think... it. Like, it seems fairly clear they don't think that she's yet got the capabilities to infect people She's that she's probably working towards it. Yeah. So I guess you could extrapolate from that that they don't expect the, that she also, like runs the whole ship and can just make it take off with a thought but maybe before this se- this season is out that might happen just to go to bars and break glass it's like a video game you have like a little like you have to break like a certain percentage of glass and you have like a progress bar <laughs> after you break like enough glass yeah. then you turn into the the the, the queen's <laughs> final form <laughs> uh yeah that's a very specific thing but i like i kind of assumed that like um <laughs> oh, you know, like, Jurati was, you know, on some level kind of resisting her, her impulses and was maybe wandering around a little bit aimless, maybe went into this bar pushed by the Borg Queen, and then the Borg Queen is losing control and she makes her go smash the thing and then release endorphins and takes over more. 
uh, like yeah, that was just that was that was okay. I kind of like that reveal. But I loved Raffi and right. Seven when they're just talking on La Serena about like uh, like oh you think you think Rios and Gerardi are getting back together and and uh, you know, then they're kind of talking about mm-hmm. like you know like their relationship and Raffi saying they she wants to be like old ladies sitting on a park bench with each other. It's like I really like their chemistry and I really like their relationship. I continue to be fairly impressed that something I was maybe a little dubious on at the end of the last season. Uh, that the Seven and Raffi thing in the last episode of season one, I was like, oh, they're together. Oh, okay. Yeah, fine. That they sort of fast forwarded <laughs> through it um, to, to sort of the rocky times. And, and but like they really did a pretty good job of it. Like I, I, I sort of feel like they have a history that I didn't see and I buy into it. I, you know, buy into the fact that they still care. It's, it was an interesting place to fast forward to. I, I think they've been and doing they're cute. They've been doing a good job. Like, I think some people have gotten confused about their relationship and think like they, they, like they broke up or something. And it's like, no, like they never broke up. It's just like there's a little bit of tension between them in that like Seven was content doing long distance and Raffi wanted them to fast forward and become more serious. But they've yeah. they've been in a mostly functional relationship this entire season. Right. It seems like it just got kind of like, yeah, they maybe had different sort of. Uh, notions about exactly how to maintain it right uh or you know and then seven was kind of caught between feelings of duty and and being able to you know uh have you know give herself a life i liked seeing raffi kind of let her guard down and loosen up a little too like she was kind of having a a moment of like fun when she was like rios and gerardi they're not the main we're the main (laughs) thing you know like those guys are just the second you know yeah then then there were four she's talking about like trying to trip teenagers on floaty things which i floaty things like is like like in her mind is like even like in the further future than their future like teenagers just float through the park but anyways like <laughs> but like seven's response to it's like and i'm better than you are when we're doing that and i just uh <laughs> yeah like that, that playful nature which we never re- really get to see like seven you know she was always like s- serious on voyager and she was in a different way like serious on picard and so yeah it's fun to see her uh you know be playful with someone like that yeah. yeah, I like that image of uh, uh, Raffi saying, well, I kind of see us growing old together, that kind of thing. You know, it's very, the whole thing was very and this cute. isn't relevant. This isn't relevant at all, but I just got to point it out because uh, Sohel and I actually got the chance to meet and talk to Michelle Hurd a couple of days ago. And yeah. she's very awesome. nice and very friendly. And um, while we were we were chatting to her, uh, I noticed that like in real life, she has like some of the most beautiful eyes. Like they're like they're beautiful. they're like. A, mm. like a glowing gold color like i've i've, I've ah. never seen on anyone else before it's funny that like they, they don't they don't look that impressive on on tv as they do in real life but doesn't like capture it yeah yeah i mean uh michelle heard also just like she has that star presence like i was kind of like around her eyes feeling the the little bit of like that's not a little a lot of starstruck you know that's cool like that. We also met Evan Evagora that same like that same moment just like a few moments before and that was cool. That is um uh why can't I say his name? Uh, Elnor? Yes. Elnor, yes. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Um you know, I, I think of uh, all the various little sort of romantic linkages in in season 2 of Picard, definitely Seven and Raffi uh, are are where my head is most at. My heart is most at. Yeah. They've they've had like some of the funnest sequences like when they're uh, like running from yeah. the cops and stuff or uh oh, yeah. shooting fascist or uh you know whatever else they've been <laughs> up to. They've uh, yeah. they've been pretty entertaining throughout. That's the time travel antics I'm here for. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to to talk security guards, sweet talk security guards and letting them into restricted yeah. areas. Uh well anything else on this on this episode before we go into the Gorneg section of the show? I appreciate the episode more uh, cuz of this conversation. I have to admit you guys helped me fill in some of my yeah. gaps. So yeah, I'm starting to think about it more, but I am still going to hold out 
a little bit of my uh, feelings about the Picard dad mom stuff until next week or until the show's over to kind of see where they take yeah. it. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised that they they held out on like that last little bit when you know Talon is like, "There's more to this." You know what happens next? I really thought they were just going to dump that all here now because um, it, it seems like we have so much to cover in these remaining three episodes, but. Uh, I guess I guess we'll just have to yeah continue to wait and see on that. Um, but let's talk about the Gorn eggs. Those are the Easter eggs in jokes and continuity connections in this episode. That I thought were worth mentioning. Um, we're going to uh, start by talking about all those weird voices that Talon hears when she enters Picard's mind. You get to hear you know Picard uh, screaming and and yelling and all kinds of stuff. They were, they were pulling material from Next Generation episodes. I guess pieces of trauma that have. Uh, that are, are echoing throughout his memories. And that, there is some dialogue from Best of Both Worlds, The Hunted, Tapestry, and Chain of Command. Mm. In the, the Ready Room dream sequence, we see a, a few little Gorn eggs. There's like a, a seashell thing sitting on the table in there in the background. That was actually similar to a, a seashell we saw in the Ready Room in Star Trek First Contact. Uh, there's also a pad from the 2260s or 70s on yep. Baltar's desk uh and uh there's <laughs> maurice uh, maurice well he's kind of just a fictional therapist character anyway, yeah so. and there's one Still of those uh, promelian <laughs> battleships in a bottle uh, in the background uh which we saw in person uh, yes yeah we saw this um what on, are the promelian battleships was, uh, P- picard was had these when he was a boy he made these and booby trap oh yeah yeah and he, he had he had one uh, in his um in the chateau and uh, Apparently, so did Chief O'Brien. And Chief O'Brien made made them as a kid too. And then right. on the main desk in the in the ready room, there's actually a bunch of Eagle Moss models, like the the real life oh. miniature ships. Uh, it's kind of hard to tell when wow. you zoom in, but I think I, I could definitely see K seven, Regula one, an Excelsior class ship, a Constitution class ship, and either a D seven or a Katinga. Wow. So yeah, those are like you can buy those those ship miniatures. And in the Chateau, we see the Picard uh, photo album that has the family crest on it we first saw in Star Trek Generations. When Rios is bonding with Teresa and Ricardo, he says to Ricardo in the space helmet, hope you're up on your zero-gravity combat training. Uh, I think that is a reference to Star Trek First Contact uh, when Picard asked Worf, uh, how well do you remember your zero-gravity combat training? And had to go on the outside of the Enterprise. Uh, he also tells her, uh, I'm from Chile, I just work in space. Very similar to when uh, Admiral Kirk said in Star Trek Four, no, I'm from Iowa, I only work in space. I like that they didn't make it verbatim, they changed it up enough that it was like, okay, that's uh, I, that's, I can forgive that little I liked cutesy it. callback. I I, and I was totally expecting that. Because, I mean, that is something you would say, right? It. They didn't make it like word yeah. for word the exact same thing, because that would have been yeah. just too I weird. don't like it! I don't like it. <laughs> Dave doesn't like it, because he, he hates anything fun and delightful. <laughs> Father, you know when um, you know when Red Letter Media uh, rips on Star Wars and they're like doing their uh, talk about how nostalgic all Star Wars movies are. They're like, remember stormtroopers? That's how I feel <laughs> when they are like, remember I work in space. <laughs> that's that's how I see it. But, yeah, but I have a I have a caustic and, and cynical mind, even though I don't have any enemies. Though. So. <laughs> what else we got, Father? On the La Serena command console computer screen whatever we see some borg written language that was first established in the next generation and best of both worlds part two and then we see more of it throughout next generation and star trek voyager the woman singing in the the dive bar that gerardi queen Mm. whatever hybrid 
goes to visit. That's actually Patrick Stewart's wife, Sunny Ozell, singing uh, one of her one of her actual songs. One of her actual songs. Bravo, Picard. Bravo, Pat, Bravo, Patrick Stewart. He even said we t- we rarely cross over, but we made an exception this time, and I'm glad they did because it's a cool, very very story. lovely and talented spouse. Yes. Yeah, people put their spouses in Star Trek. That's uh that's a thing that goes all the way back <laughs> to the very first episode of Star Trek: The Cage. Starring, uh, well, no, I guess they weren't married at the time, but uh, his, his no, side chick at the time, Majel Barrett, was in, was included in, in the cage. <laughs> was she the side chick that, at the time? Yeah, that was that was his that. girlfriend that was not his wife. Oh, wow. Mary, okay. Mary Wiseman's husband, I forget his name. I, I thought yeah, he Noah Averbeck Katz. Um, Katz, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah Chief DeFalco in the motion picture. Guinan does the claw thing from Q Who. I pointed that out earlier. And then uh, I also pointed out that the Duquesne actor jay carnes shows up in this episode as a, a character i'm saying is not duquesne so i'm in agreement okay, well if, if you disagree please let us know that you think it is duquesne and then we'll we'll give you we'll give you the credit next week um, but yeah so that's all i got for gorn eggs but i think we do have some subspace transmissions really super light super light on the gorn eggs that's not bad that's good yeah well they weren't they weren't a dreamscape so <laughs> <laughs> it's true <laughs> um yeah father are we ready to hit up, hit up some subspace transmissions here yeah we were uh, asking people how they felt about last week's episode and also asking about how they felt about some of the 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 big of the big things happening last week for first contact day yeah, I think most of our responses are about First Contact Day and, you know, which had that that had like announcements about Picard season three and the new Star Trek motion picture and Mission Chicago and all that. So let's see what we got here. Uh, OK, over on Twitter, uh, GKL1961 says uh, we're in another golden era of Star Trek. I never thought it would happen in my lifetime. I am enjoying all the old and new iterations of the franchise, and I can't wait for more. And he concludes Idic and also live long and prosper. So. Uh, clearly uh, enjoying the the good times. Um, I I like to say Latinum era of Star Trek. Oh, but, nice. You know, nice. Latinum is kind <laughs> of uh, has a bad connotation to it. It's like such like a, a greedy Ferengi thing, though. Yeah, that's true. How that's about we true. say dilithium I mean, era? The, hey, man, you're giving guilt by association to Latinum. There, you know, <laughs> Latinum has a lot of good other good uses. Come on. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, Eric Swinson says uh, last weekend reminded me of the glory days of the Trek cons I, I went to in New York City in the. Uh, 80s and 90s marked improvement from the sparsely attended Chicago con of just five years ago in a small hotel even with a-list guests like Carl Urban this was wonderful shout out to Eric who we met at Star Trek, right on uh, Chicago so cheers and Dan um, says kind of a joke but as long as they're bringing in the TNG cast and they're also saying this isn't TNG season 8 why limit themselves to the TNG cast bring back DS9 and Voyager actors too Oh, and he had like a little hand, a little info or like a little graphic of the TNG cast that had little hand scrawled on it. Jeffrey Combs <laughs> added in there. I have a sense that we're gonna see some DS9 folks in season well, we're, three. We're getting, we're getting for... Worf. He's a, kind of a DS9 character. But if, a, but I have if a Call se- Meany shows sense... up, that'd be pretty cool. If they get get Chief O'Brien, awesome. he's, he's yeah, got some next I... generation sure. in his blood. Yeah. Yeah, it's his, his, I also his have a sense that that's not all. I think we might see Major Kira, or as I guess she would be. Um, she uh, she better be General Kira at this now. point, or General uh-huh. Kira. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Oh, I love that. I think that's cool. Robbie, uh, aka Earl Grey Trekkie, also said, uh, uh, "I think at the very least it would be good to have an Ezri cameo, considering that Worf will be back." Yeah, they could uh, they could work her in there too. But uh, yeah, I'm open to uh, bringing in uh, any of those people if there's you know if there's room for them in the story. Uh, why not use someone who's already established? If it if it makes sense, if it's going to fit in there organically, then then sure, why not? You know, if you need like a sleazy businessman, then why not use Quark? <laughs> That's fine. 
they're calling this a send-off to an era and i kind of love that it's kind of like uh you know i, I mean? think like, it will be the big send-off to like the the berman era star trek the yeah exactly so i think that's going to be a nice thing so I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a lot and then you know what's great is in a movie it could be overdone but in a 10 episode they have series, a lot of time to have, yeah to time to like have things make sense so it could work really well to have include a lot of and there, there's so many people they're bringing in like behind the scenes like not just the okudas and drexler but a lot of other people like oh uh, really yeah uh dan curry dan curry's involved oh yeah, yeah yeah like they they kept that a secret i just saw like a an interview with him not that long ago he was he was doing one of the the virtual cons recently he never even mentioned that yeah he was like working on something big he, he, but yeah he was involved in, in picard season three so yeah, a lot of those a lot of those people the uh dude who does the uh um uh, that sound that inst- plays that instrument who's like the expert on that instrument from the star trek the motion picture what's it called the something beam i can't remember the thing that makes the eerie sounds yeah yeah the v'ger sound <laughs> what are you talking about yeah the v'ger sound guy yeah the v'ger sound's gonna be in it's that instrument's coming back and like they got the what's it called the dang it it's something beam i can't remember right now but metallus tweeted it out there's an article mm-hmm. that it's coming back so yeah, so I don't know. <laughs> the uh, one other comment I wanted to mention was uh, just a quick one from uh, Thomas Hill over on YouTube. I think this was in regard to the, your uh, father, the, the Mission Chicago video, one of the tour of the floor there. So maybe this was like a model. He said he liked the look of the redesigned Enterprise of Strange New Worlds over the the J.J. Abrams, the Kelvin. Yes, Kelvin yeah, the, the John Eves redesign is uh, far, far superior to the, the Ryan Church redesign, my my opinion. Was there a model or some imagery yeah. of it there? Yeah, um, you should check I need out. to look at that. If, or if you want like a good resolution video, uh, Dave, go watch the video me and Sohel put on the Text Trek Facebook page. Okay. Um, because you can see us, uh, yeah, just uh, walk all around the, the model of that ship and look right at on. every fun. angle. That was really fun. That might even that. be in 4K. Uh, uh, ooh. It's called Blaster Beam. Uh, Blaster Beam. Blue Thank you, Blue. Yeah. Thank you very much. That was a crazy name. All right. Uh, <laughs> is, that, is that it, Dave, for subspace That is it. Uh, hailing frequencies are closed. Okay, well, people should, <laughs> by all means, comment or uh, email me or hit me up on Twitter or comment on the TextRec Facebook page and tell us how you felt about this episode. And uh, let us know, like, your crazy theories. Like, what's going on with Q? What's going on with Borg Queen Girardi? What's going on with Soong? What's going on with Picard's family? And do you think it's Duquesne? Uh, I think it ain't. But if you think it also, is, let me know. will Rio stay uh, stay in the past? Uh, will uh, Girardi become the Borg Queen? Will... Gosh, there's so yeah. much. Yeah, yeah there's there. a lot of questions plates. to be There's a lot of plates, as Father's yeah. And if you have... And what of... <laughs> will that key do? What will that key do? There's a lot do? of saucer sections floating <laughs> yeah, around. I didn't, I, didn't know, I didn't know whether to say there was a bunch of spinning plates or if they're juggling a bunch of balls, but I think they're doing both. They're like spinning plates and trying to keep them spinning while also juggling <laughs> balls and try to keep those balls up in the air. So it's... Uh, is it all going to come tumbling down in the next three episodes or will they somehow find the graceful way to pull it all off we will find out i think they'll stick the landing i've seen people juggle chainsaws before so you know who knows yeah how, how oh, many yes. more uh, <laughs> metaphors can we mix together here uh, <laughs> and are they colorful uh double dumbass on you they are <laughs> <laughs> we will be back next week for the next live text truck show friday at 7 p.m central of course as always you can listen to that wherever you get your podcast and until then Live long and prosper, y'all. Listen to the Text Trek podcast through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or at text-trek.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash text-trek. And follow Fathery on Twitter at TXTrek. 
Please support us by liking our videos and subscribing to our channel on YouTube. Thank you and take care.